It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Celtics fans, welcome to the Rain and Jays podcast. I'm John Corrales along with Jay King. And Jay, too bad we had a boring game last night or else we'd have something to talk about. Yeah, like it, it really is going to be a bad episode after, after that really, really boring game. Ugh, I mean, overtime, who wants to see teams score almost 300 points combined? <laughs> I, I, was, I was interested to see whether you were going to do the math right. And then you just decided to just skip it all together. Well, I, I started and I, I stopped. I think, I swear, with, with these games, the way they've been going recently for the Celtics, I feel like I've, I've zoned out and they've played some mysterious fifth period with how much they've been scoring because the, the end of third quarter scores have been basically what used to be final game scores. 139 points, granted it was over, overtime, but still, 139 points last night, 128 against the Kings. They've been scoring well over 100 since basically the beginning of 2016. Granted, now their defense has gone away a little bit. They've been giving up a lot of points. I don't know what's happened there, Jay, but they're winning. They are winning. And, I mean, their offense is all the way up to the top 10 where – a month ago, it was lagging in the twenties. Looked like it would be, you know, their 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 big flaw this whole season. And since then, they've just really surged offensively. It's it's been crazy. And that Clippers game was just like, who didn't play well? That, that was just an unbelievable offensive performance from them. Isaiah Thomas finishing over DeAndre Jordan. Your boy Turner. <laughs> coming through again in the clutch. He's become a fourth quarter and, and in last night's case, overtime killer. It's just it's unbelievable to see what has happened to this team that for so long couldn't score with Isaiah Thomas on the bench and now just kind of doesn't really stop scoring. I will give Evan Turner credit. Even in the Milwaukee game, which was, I'm sure nobody really wants to hear about, but the Milwaukee game where everybody just kind of, we went back to the old, Olenek couldn't shoot, length gave everybody problems, Evan Turner was terrible until the fourth quarter, and they made that huge run to eliminate that 19-point deficit. Turner was really good in that fourth quarter. So there is almost literally nothing bad that you can say about this team right now. Do you like Evan Turner now? Are you an Evan Turner fanboy? <laughs> I'm going to his retirement jersey retirement ceremony. I bought tickets. Everyone's going to his jersey out. retirement. Yeah, I'm camping out. I can't, I'm going to have him autograph. We're going to hang out. <laughs> We're going to have beers together. 
yeah, I'm, I'm just, no, he's I'm, he's playing really well, and and he, he's he had that opportunity to revert to the things that were going to piss me off, but he redeemed himself at the end of the Milwaukee game, and he had another big game. He's he is in a groove as are the rest of the Celtics, uh, and there's again there's really very little that you can say negatively about the Celtics because even if somebody has a bad day. They tend to bounce back. Yeah, I mean, you've got Tyler Zeller, who, although he got destroyed by Greg Monroe, their whole team got destroyed by Greg Monroe, just got ruined. They sent doubles. They, 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 they single team. They they tried everything against Monroe. They switched. He just just tortured them the whole night. That, that was like watching the 2014 Celtics. I can remember, like, Stevens' first year when, when they had a really bad team and they just got killed in the paint every game. That that felt just like those years all over again. But they respond. They score more points in the paint than the Los Angeles Clippers who have DeAndre Jordan. That, and that was mostly because Isaiah Thomas is just a ridiculous finisher. Some of the, Fearless. Some, some of the finishes... He was nine for thirteen inside the restricted area. He is five foot nine, five foot nine, nine for third. That's like he was finishing like Andre Drummond, you know, <laughs> like like that's the percentages <laughs> he was finishing at, and he he couldn't he couldn't post me up, but actually he, he probably could post me up. I was going to say there. Hold on for a second. I'm, I, I I probably got a little little too inflated of an ego there i i'm i'm six two though i feel like as long as he was limited to one dribble and couldn't if he was back to the basket i i don't know I, i'm not sure no i know but yeah you would have to he would have to be tied down <laughs> in in those chains that they use to dock boats yeah he, he and even He'd then, have to be in a straight yeah, jacket a or something to not score on me. Look, you can, you know, you're a shooter. You're a gunner. Your defensive rating's pretty high, though. You know, yeah. Uh, l- let's not talk about my defense. Nobody wants to talk about my defense. Let- <laughs> let's talk about that Clippers game because that was one of the craziest games in, in a while. I mean, the Clippers played well. The Clippers, J.J. Redick, who... The la- literally, I think the last thing I would ever want to do in a basketball court is guard J.J. Redick. You just run around screens, and you never stop sprinting. And then finally he gets a, a sliver of space, and he drills a jumper in your face. Or he draws a foul. Avery Bradley has got to stop committing bad fouls, which is weird. He, he never had an issue with that until the last two games. But he's committed now – the one obviously against Milwaukee, against Chris Middleton in the final second that lost that game, although their their third quarter really lost it, and then two in in the overtime period against Redick behind the three point arc. Yeah, uh, just some really bad fouls from Avery Bradley. But back to the game, just craziness, hectic craziness. But Paul Pierce's maybe his final return to the TD Garden. Got lost in the shuffle because the game was so unbelievable. I, I was, I, yeah. I was, I had, I was lucky enough. I sat next to Bob Ryan for the game, and Bob Ryan, who first of all he's one of my idols, absolute legend, 
someone who completely took basketball sports writing to a new level, just changed the game all by himself. He was so excited during to see Bob Ryan. He was like a kid. Like the excitement level that he has for basketball is unbelievable. It was so cool to sit there next to him watching a great game and seeing how damn excited he was for everything. It was unbelievable to see a guy his age. I don't know exactly how old he is, but obviously he's retired from the Boston Globe. Like he's getting up there in years. Just so much excitement, so much energy, and just loved seeing good basketball. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome to sit next to him. I can only imagine what that's like. It, I mean, Bob, Bob Ryan is basically the gold standard of basketball writing it, in Boston. Yeah, and, and I mean, to sit next to him at any time, like he's just the greatest basketball resource ever. He could probably tell you – who started in the 1974 finals and every box score, like statistic from the whole series, but to sit next to him in that game and just, just to see his energy level, it was unbelievable. Like it was really like watching it with like a 12 year old kid who had (laughs) just fallen in love with the game. And like, he was just next level excited. And it was so cool to see. It was so awesome. Well, it was an amazing game. You had I'm looking at the the box score here. There are four different 30 plus uh points totals in in in, uh, in these quarters. Uh the first quarter was 37-33 LA. The Celtics put up 38 points in the second quarter. Clippers put up 31 points in the fourth. Uh so many points. Chris Paul uh, that stretch in the third quarter, he was unconscious. I think he just ran out of gas. He played almost fifty. I mean, forty-eight minutes in that game. Yeah, that uh, that was incredible. The incredible part about that was he reached like some other level, like just a level of point guardness that only Stephen Curry reaches. And then by the end of the game, Isaiah Thomas had a better game. Like, yeah, the two point guard games that we saw, I think. What did Paul have? 35, 13, and two turnovers. And Thomas had 36, 11, and one turnover. The two outrageous games from those guys. And they did it in such different ways. Paul was like all jumpers. And Thomas was just like, I'm going to attack DeAndre Jordan in the paint. I don't care that he's 15 inches taller than I am. I'm going to loft shots over him all game. It was, it was two two guys playing the game completely differently. And they had almost the exact same impact on the game. That that was an incredible, incredible duel. Even though they didn't always guard each other. Yeah. Now, I what I've noticed with Isaiah Thomas uh, going against these bigger guys, he creates space by kind of burying his shoulder into the bigger guy's core, and that keeps that keeps the center that keeps like DeAndre Jordan from jumping because. DeAndre Jordan can probably pick a quarter off the top of the backboard. He can jump. But when Thomas kind of pushes his shoulder into his core there, kind of gets him a little off balance. He can't really jump the way he normally does. And then Thomas kind of uses that push to kind of fade away, and he just creates just enough space to 
throw that ball up there, and he's just he's been doing that for so long, lofting those little shots, like you say, up over people. He creates just enough space to get that up there. It's amazing how he's gotten that little move to work, and it's you're it, it's incidental contact. He's not pushing off or anything like that. He's just using his body. He's actually using his small size to his advantage by getting his shoulder down into a place where a bigger guy can't do anything about it and creating that little space. It's just amazing. You see it happening live, and you just see Isaiah Thomas disappear into this mass of humanity, and then the ball just pops up out of nowhere, and it goes through the hoop, and then he's sliding halfway across the baseline. It's fun. Yeah. Sometimes I get a little worried, but it's fun to watch him do it. I I think one thing people probably don't – two things people probably don't talk about enough. One, his strength. To be that strong, to to throw your body into people like he does – and still finish is incredible. And to his balance, he hits people, and he still maintains that balance in midair. The body control, the balance, everything. Like He is a special, special type of athlete, and obviously really skilled. And obviously, he does so many things well to succeed and be an all-star at five foot nine. But a lot of the times, you take that for granted. It's just like, oh, yeah, Isaiah Thomas is finishing at the rim again. But he was so next level against the Clippers in that way that just, I mean, it was stunning to see. And then, of course, at the end of regulation, they're down two, and he he finds DeAndre Jordan guarding him one more time, step back jumper, drains it, go to go to overtime, and Evan Turner, your boy Evan Turner, takes over. <laughs> Yet again, Evan Turner has, what is he, He's won like four or five games for them down the stretch lately. He he's been he's been really important. He yeah. has been really important, and not and not just like last. He was night, guarding Chris Paul where, too, by the way. When Paul kind of went away, he was yeah. he was doing everything. He he was really really good in that overtime. When he's had these games like last night, obviously you have that obvious clutch where he's in the overtime, scoring points in the overtime. What do you have, 7 in OT, which is huge. Uh, when you score half your points in overtime to, to win a game, that's everybody looks at it and says, wow, that's clutch. But Evan Turner's had some, some pretty clutch moments earlier in games where uh, I think it was the, the home game against Orlando where they were starting to make a run, and he just kept hitting these shots midway through the fourth quarter, to keep them at 10 points away. And those are clutch shots, too, because that prevents the other team from really getting that that confidence, that feeling that they're going to finish off the run that they're trying to make. Every, you know, they say every team in the NBA makes a run, and and teams are they get down big because that's a tendency, If you especially these lesser teams, you can get down big against the Celtics. And sometimes the Celtics will relax and let teams back in. They'll settle for jumpers and whatever. But Turner has done in this stretch, he's hit those shots, those little mid-range shots, or that right block post up against a smaller guard where he spins baseline and hits that little jumper. And he's done those to keep them at bay, to keep them from cutting the lead to under 10 and from really, really 
feeling like they're going to be uh, back in the game. So giving Turner all the credit in the world, he's, he's played extremely well, and he's hit big shots at big moments for the Celtics. They, they would not have been on this run, 10 of 12, without Evan Turner. The 180. Yes, I just said that. I just the said The 180 that. you've done on Evan Turner this year is, has been incredible. I mean, I think we had a full episode basically dedicated to Evan Turner ranting earlier this season. Right, but at that point, he deserved it. Did he not? Was that not <laughs> Probably warranted? not quite as hard as you gave it to him. That was warranted. <laughs> he was playing like crap. Probably not. That was warranted. One guy who I do want to talk about, it feels like we don't talk about him a lot, Jared Sullinger. I was just going to bring him Jared, because he had a great game last night. Yeah, and it, 21, number, 10, and 7. Three assists, three assists shy of a triple-double. 21, 10, and 7. Some of the box outs where he didn't even get the rebounds, it was like DeAndre Jordan was not touching that ball. And Sullinger, you know, last season, it kind of felt like his his career almost this might be dramatic it kind of felt like his career was at a crossroads you know he, he gained weight during the season he had the foot injury stress fracture he he kind of just had plateaued and to me he's taken a big step forward in consistency this year and sometimes he'll still shoot too many long jumpers whether it's threes he hasn't taken many of those lately or long twos but he does a lot of good things, and I think he's really kind of stabilized his career and started it back on the right track. I, I still think he needs to get in better shape, but he's had a really good season. He's been really important defensively and on the glass, and we probably haven't talked about his importance enough, but he does a lot of good things for them. He produces in a lot of ways for them that that sometimes I think a lot of people don't appreciate because it's Isaiah scoring and it's Evan Turner in the clutch and it's Avery Bradley with huge first quarters. But Sullinger does a lot of things for them that other guys on the team can't do. He is their best post defender. He is their best rebounder. He's very, very good at not turning the basketball over and making smart decisions when he passes. So... Shout out to Jared Sullinger, who has had, who has quietly put his career back on track this season, and really showed the promise that he showed earlier in his career. I think. And there's nobody on the team that's better than Jared Sullinger, uh, making a play while falling down <laughs> or while already on his ass. <laughs> he is good at that. He is he is very good at that. And outlet passes. He's great outlet pass. I love. He might be the second best outlet passer in the league behind Kevin Love. He, Whoa! I mean, I, I don't know who else is out there really, but he's a really good outlet passer, and he's almost always on the money. I can remember he threw one like five feet ahead of the guy, and it, it went out of bounds, and I, I was shocked. Like, what? Yeah. Sullinger missed an outlet pass. That that's really weird. So shout out to Sullinger. We don't talk about him enough, but. But he's got Absolutely. his he's got his career back on track, and he's hitting mid range jumpers now. He, he's he's shooting a lot better from that range than than he was previously this season, and he he's I almost eliminated like, the three. He has he has. Yeah. Well, he's been very much more judicious about taking the three, which is great. 
Um, and I feel like those mid-range shots are a little closer to the hoop. Maybe that's just my eyes. I haven't looked at the shot charts or, or anything like that. I feel like he's gone from 22-footers to 19-footers. And that extra few feet make a difference. So that that might just be me seeing the the good things, the shots that are going in. I feel like he might have he might have moved it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. From from more of a macro perspective, like we've talked about individual players a lot. I, I've been really interested by what opposing coaches are starting to say about the Celtics. George Carl was was in last week. Was yeah, last week earlier this week, whatever it was when the Kings were here in Boston. And he said, I think they have a chance against Cleveland. Doc Rivers, in, at his old home last night, he says, I think they could make a run. People are starting to give them respect. They're starting to look at the Celtics like, man, that team plays hard every night. They're never out of a game. They've knocked off the Cavs. Now they've knocked off the Clippers. They're, they're a good team. And... They're, I think Brian Robb of Celtics Hub tweeted this after the game last night. They're one of six teams now, or five or six teams in the top ten in both, both offense and defense, which that's that's a recipe for success. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think they can win the Eastern Conference. I, I'm not that delusional. But other than Cleveland and, and Toronto, Toronto's quietly really good this year. They they might not be on Toronto's level, but I give them a shot against Toronto in the playoffs. Like we've talked about this before, they probably have Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, like that's their ceiling, and they're they're starting to play more like their ceiling, I guess. And co- co- every coach that comes in, every single one, every single coach, it's like they're reading off a script. Man, I love the I love the way that team plays. They share the ball. They play so hard. So much energy. Brad Stevens, one of the best coaches in the league. So good. <laughs> like, like literally every coach is given a script before meeting the Boston media about what they have to say about the Celtics, and it's the same exact thing every single game. And that's kind of who they are. And it's like, like they're these plucky overachievers, and, and they kind of are. But I think also it's just a lot of guys being given opportunities that they never had before. Isaiah Thomas was never looked to as a go-to guy. Jay Crowder never had as much opportunity. Evan Turner had never been given that much freedom at the end of a game. And it's just a lot of guys kind of rising to the opportunity. And they play, they play hard, man. <laughs> that team plays hard. Even like offensive cuts and stuff. Like They cut so hard. Every Every – Set, crisp, ball movement, good. Yeah, and those are the signs of a well-coached team. And they're really coming yeah. together these last few, few weeks. Well, it's to me it's amazing that they would play so hard for such a hothead coach. <laughs> such, I mean, he... he <laughs> did, did you see him last night? Did that you was, see him on the sidelines? That was peak mad Brad. Peak mad Brad. I loved it. That was so great. After Jarebko bowled over Chris Paul, which, by the way, was an amazingly smart play. By Chris Paul, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he – people were screaming it was a flop and whatever. 
just at the spur of the moment to make that play. That's pretty pretty brilliant. Doc, even on the sidelines, was looking at Brad and says, "That's smart shit." <laughs> That's literally what he said. Yeah. Um, and that, but Brad turned around, hand on his head, gave Jay Laranaga a <laughs> look like, "Did that just happen?" Yeah, that, that was Amazing. hysterical. And then the foul on Crowder, oh. where he lost his mind. He literally said, "That's bullshit." Are you fucking kidding me, Brad Stevens? Yep. Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. Hothead. Brad Stevens. Hothead coach. How (laughs) can this team play for a guy who flies off the handle like that at clutch moments? Yeah, I don't know how they keep their composure when when they have such an animal on the (laughs) sidelines. It's so funny because because that did nothing but endear him more to Celtics fandom. We finally saw... Milk toast, Brad Stevens. Gosh darn it! Even keel celebrated the Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland uh, game winner like he was a statue. All of a sudden, flying off the handle, losing his mind, all of this emotion, and people were like, "He's human." That was amazing. People loved that moment. I loved that moment. I thought it was hilarious. What's the funniest is that. Like that is stuff every other coach does every single game, you know. Like like if Doc Rivers gets caught doing that, no one bats an eye. Everyone's like, oh yeah, that's just that's just a natural reaction after a bad call or or a stupid play by a, one of his players. When Brad does it, it's like, what is going on? Like the Earth is shifting like, on its axis. Yeah, like it's midnight and, and there's sunshine everywhere. Like what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Like just, so awesome. just, <laughs> just so out of character, and so funny, and it's it's great, great when they they catch Brad in those those human moments that you don't see from him too often. No, or the cameras don't care. I'm sure he has some of them, or it's it's not as pronounced. But man, that was great. But the the fact is, going back to the serious conversation, that th- of course it's a, it's a very well coached team. And it's, it just goes to show preparation. Going back to the Milwaukee game, that alley-oop to Kelly Olenek, so perfectly drawn, understanding everything that's going on. They're switching on everything. This is what you need to do. This is where these guys need to go, drawing up the whole play. And it's the second time that he's drawn up a last-second lob play where there's nobody between the player and and the basket. The first one was the uh, Jay Crowder. Uh, what game was that? Where Jay Crowder caught that lob pass? Washington Wizards. There you go. Uh, that was thing. one where Cr- Crowder and Randy Whitman were beefing. Yes, yes. Last second play. All of a sudden, there's a the ball is in the air, and there's a Celtic and the basket, and no opponent between them. To do that twice in a season, that's that's not luck. That's knowing what the opponent is going to do. That's preparation, and it's good execution. And this is the important part of that. Yeah, you... Other players see that. Yep. They know, free agents know, that when they come to Boston, they're going to play for a guy who's prepared and knows what the other team is doing. And that is really important to free agents, big and small. 
That is a huge reason. It's not that that Brad's a nice guy or he may be a player's coach or anything. It's a guy that's prepared. And you know when you get out there and, and you're a multimillionaire, it, it's up to the players to basically allow a coach to coach them. And when Brad Stevens is telling you to do something, you're going to do it. And that that is a really important aspect to all, to all of this. Yeah, uh, everybody notices what he's doing. And and he's doing it now for a team that, that's getting good. Like They're number three. They, they enter the all-star break, number three in the Eastern Conference. And what's interesting is, obviously, they, who knows what will happen at the trade deadline. They will target upgrades big and upgrades small and see what happens. But they'll have cap space this summer. And Stevens is a drawing card. I really do think he's a drawing card. I talked to Jared Dudley after hearing him on the Zach Lowe podcast and everyone is just raving about Brad Stevens. People, There's a legitimate buzz about Brad Stevens in the NBA and about how good he is and about how how – how elite he is at putting guys in positions to succeed. And Dudley told me it's even – players even like that how he treats rest, how how he doesn't – how he tries not to play guys huge minutes, how he, he has moved back the shoot around from morning to afternoon at home. Those are things that, that players care about. Like those are things that we don't even think about. We – we don't care about rest like that. Like guy plays big minutes. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe he'll get run down, but we don't really talk about that, that, that often, but players do. And and they care about that. They want to go somewhere where, where they're going to be kept fresh, where, where the coach knows what he's doing with, with everything from, from rest to X's and O's. And, and Stevens, Stevens is getting that reputation. And literally it's unbelievable to hear guys praise him when they, they come through everybody goes out of their way to to say how good a coach Brad Stevens is and that team you know 32 and 23 third place in the Eastern Conference what's interesting to me is you know a few years ago not not a few years ago now a lot of years makes me feel kind of old 9 years ago now i guess before they traded for Kevin Garnett they were in such a different place 24 and 58 like Ainge was ready to swing for the fences he didn't have like there was nothing he was risking now it's like they're third in the eastern conference they have a lot of good young players they have a core that isn't great yet but starting to get good and probable top five pick from brooklyn he would probably have to be pretty enticed it would have to be a pretty safe move i would guess at this trade deadline to to make a big move because they're in a good spot right now. They can go with a team that's probably going to finish in the top four or five in the Eastern Conference and then add a top five pick to that core, have some salary cap flexibility. Like, they're in a really good spot right now. You, you do not, you can have the patience to wait for that deal because. You are like they're in a good spot. Obviously, some of their a lot of their big men could be free agents. Jared Sullinger, Tyler Zeller, uh, Amir Johnson could be, depending on what the Celtics do with his team option. But like, there's 
they're in a really good spot right now. And that, that puts Ainge, I think that gives him a lot of leverage heading into the trade deadline because he doesn't need to make a move. He's got all the assets, but he doesn't need to use them if he doesn't want to. I, I remember talking uh, a couple a couple years ago, I think at this point, once the trade was made, you start extrapolating out the scenarios. And the best case scenario we were looking at, well, these guys develop and this guy develops and you make a move here or there and you go into 2016 as a playoff team and you still have that Brooklyn pick. And at that point, Brooklyn was good. And we say, well, you know, Pierce and Garnett go away. They retire. Something happens. You can start to see the downfall. And wouldn't you know it, the best case scenario is unfolding. And, and that's a huge testament to Danny Ainge, but it's also a little bit of luck that I would say a lot of luck <laughs> <laughs> that look Brooklyn Brooklyn is so inept that they still still first of all the trade deadline is what a week away literally one week in one week the the potential flurry of game changing franchise changing moves will be will be made they do not have a general manager in place. The best part about that is that I've seen reports saying that they still intend to hire someone before the trade deadline. So if someone is going to like walk in off the streets and be in charge of making the decision whether they trade somebody, keep somebody, whatever. It's, it's bonkers. Absolutely I just bonkers. Heard, I just heard Howard Beck, uh, Bleacher Report, talking today the the Brooklyn Nets do not intend to trade Brook Lopez they do not intend to trade Thaddeus Young they oh, why why risk looking, a good thing to keep this core together this core that has won 14 games this year they're looking to build around it and I think they expect to just pay for some free agents and be back in the mix. That, well, That's how bad Brooklyn is. They're in a weird place, though. I, I will give them. They're in a weird place because they've already given away all their picks. Like, not this year, next year, 2018. They do not have control of their picks. So, like, you almost, like, what's the point of trading those guys? I, I I I, no, I I like do you, and then you get bad and then may, maybe you get like, other draft the point picks is for them. To get some picks. Uh, yeah, you I, have to. You have to now. This is, I mean, nuclear option. That the the play for Brooklyn. Which I'm glad they're not doing it. I'm but, glad they're. But not, that means like playing for like four years ahead. It's tough what? to be like okay. We are, we are now going to play for four years ahead. I think they have like a pipe dream in their heads where they have $40 million in cap space or whatever it is this, this summer, and they use that to at least become respectable. I, I think that's their pipe dream. And I think the, the way you do it is you trade Brook Lopez for something serviceable and, and a couple of first-round draft picks, and you, you find a way to get a first-round pick or, or a first and some seconds or something like that for Thaddeus Young. 
and you get back into this year's draft, you get into next year's draft, and you start replenishing the stuff, all of the stuff that you gave away, and just burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground and start completely fresh and maybe be the worst team ever the next year or two. Please, now, says Danny Ainge, please be I, the worst team ever the next year or two. I think either, either way it's beneficial to the Celtics. But the, the best thing that they can do is be where they are now. They win like 20-something games. So what? But anyway, that's whatever it is, the best-case scenario is essentially playing out for the Boston Celtics. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's just enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I thought was an interesting trade rumor was the one about Shabazz, Shabazz Muhammad. Because yes. a lot of these and other got guys, a, question about a lot of these other guys are like bigger names. You go go ahead with the question. We'll, we'll shout out. The- well, it comes. Well, the, the question comes from um, at RLS zero zero three, who says, "What do you make of the Shabazz Muhammad rumor to Boston? Is it classic trader Danny?" So that go ahead. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because all these other guys, you know, Al Horford, Dwight Howard, which didn't seem like the talks were substantial at all. Danilo Gallinari. All those other guys are are established names. And then Muhammad is like mediocre player on a bad team. And he was – that was kind of like one of the type of moves I think Danny Ainge could possibly make because if you look at his track record, obviously he tried to overpay for Justice Winslow. He threw a ton of his assets to try to get Justice Winslow. But other than that – the Isaiah Thomas trade, he bought low. The Jay Crowder trade, they targeted a guy who just needed an opportunity. You know, he, he's had a lot of these trades where he's gotten guys who maybe they didn't know Thomas was going to be as good as he was. Maybe they didn't know Crowder was going to to grow into their their second-best player so quickly. But they targeted guys that they knew were ready for bigger opportunities. And I don't know whether they see that in Shabazz Muhammad. I don't know how much interest they have in Shabazz Muhammad. But guys like that, guys that we don't really think about, like Thomas last year, it was like everyone was talking about Goran Dragic. And then Thomas was like kind of the afterthought on the Suns. Like, and <laughs> you look at it a year later, Thomas is an all-star. Dragic is completely underperforming for Miami. And it's like, man, Danny Ainge did it again. So guys like that, Shabazz Muhammad, are kind of interesting. Those are the intriguing guys that they could like maybe take a flyer on and, and see what happens. But, yeah, I, I, think, I think they'll look maybe for better players than Muhammad. But guys like that are interesting, the, the, the lesser-known guys that, that maybe need more of an opportunity and, and can do some things. Well, Muhammad gets to the free-throw line. He, he's a good post-up player. He... He's he's a pretty efficient scorer for for his usage rate. He's he does some things well. So guys like that, like who can already do things at the NBA level and maybe just need someone to highlight their strengths. Those are the interesting guys to me because I don't know if there's any star that's going to become available, but there will be guys like that available uh, if Ainge can can find the right ones. Yeah, Muhammad is a real interesting guy because last year he averaged like 13 points and he, he shot almost 40% from three. And this year he's, he's a little more disappointing uh, as far as Minnesota is concerned. But it's a great point because 
He's got it's this is his third year and Minnesota's already picked up his option, so he's under control. He's, it's not like he's going to go away. The Celtics have an opportunity to buy low and keep control and kind of bring him along and who knows what he becomes. That would be an amazing at what point do other GMs say, oh, who's on the phone, Danny Ainge? Now, nah, screw that. I'm not talking to that guy anymore. Because yeah, like, like, he makes oh, these Ainge deals. Ainge lost Muhammad? Like, we better keep him, man. Right. Ainge made these deals where, at the time, he deals Rondo to Dallas. And basically, the consensus at the time was, yeah, I guess you got to get what you can. We probably could have, probably should have gotten more, but we'll take it. And all of a sudden, it turns into Jay Crowder, and everybody's like, Jake, everybody wants like five Jay Crowders on their team. And, you know, Rondo's having a little bit of a resurgence, but all of a sudden, Danny looks like the huge winner in that deal. How does that, I don't know how that keeps happening. And beyond that, well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll that tell you happen? what doesn't hurt is Brad Stevens, who, who use, utilizes this guy's strengths. So some of those deals might not look quite so good without Stevens. Highlighting guys like Evan Turner signed him basically off the garbage heap. Nobody wanted Evan Turner after the half season he had in Indiana, and then Celtics swoop in, and now he's become a really valuable bench player for them who can do a lot of things. And so I, I think a lot of the credit does go to Stevens for for utilizing guys well, and and to his his coaching staff for really developing these players. These are all young guys who just keep getting better. You look up and down that roster, guys are improving. You know, Marcus Smart shows stretches where he's fantastic. By the his rebound at the end of regulation, where he spun around, who was it, Wesley Johnson? I mean, oh, Marcus Smart? Yeah, yeah. He ended up boxing out Wesley Johnson. He's, when yeah. when he wasn't he didn't have the position and he, he spun around him boxed him out got the rebound drew a foul that was just outrageous he's had two two huge huge offensive rebounds or in the case of the Cleveland game tipped it off Moskov where Celtics would have lost the game otherwise and instead they they beat the Cavaliers and they beat the Clippers because Marcus Smart a six three guard. <laughs> found a way to get an offensive rebound and save possession for the Celtics. Just outrageous hustle plays. But my bigger point is guys are developing. Solinger, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, everybody, Evan Turner, everybody, Kelly Olenek, everybody's getting better. And I think a lot of the credit goes to the players because they have assembled a group of hardworking guys. And a lot of it goes to the coaches who who develop those guys every game. If you look... Before game, Jay Hunter and James Young, those guys aren't playing a lot. They're out there working on their handles. You should see Jay Laranega, their assistant coach, playing defense on these guys. They're double teaming RJ Hunter, and it's like Jay Laranega and Kenny Graves, who's I, he used to be their video coordinator. I'm not sure exactly what his title is now. They're double teaming him, and they're like dripping sweat, <laughs> like making sure he gets the most out of the workout, and that that work matters. So, kudos to them for for developing all these guys, and kudos to Ainge for for finding guys who are ready for that opportunity and want to work to take advantage of it. Yeah, 
Well, look, we've been gushing for a little while. Let's get some questions. Let's gush. Here. This is it's a time to gush. This is great. No, this is great. But we're going to continue doing this. So Victor uh, asks, do you think we can be division champions? We talked a little bit about the the Raptors. The Celtics are four and a half games out. Uh, the they're five games out in the loss column. Can the Celtics catch up to Toronto uh, and and take take over basically the second seed in the East? It's possible, but I I doubt it happens. I mean, we're twenty seven games left, so to catch up on four and a half games, the Celtics would have to go eighteen and nine or whatever, and the Raptors would have to go about 500. That doesn't seem very realistic given how well the Raptors have been playing. So, no, I, I don't think they catch the Raptors are really good this year. But DeMar DeRozan has gotten better than I ever anticipated. Kyle Lowry, really, really good. Those those guys are tough, tough one-two punch. That, that team's a good team. Yeah. The, the only thing I think the Celtics can hope for is – and you don't want to hope for an injury, but it's something something to happen that derails their momentum. So I agree. It's too late in the season to be making runs like that against the team if you're both at full strength. Yeah, I think so. I think the three seed. I think the three seed is their ceiling right now. Um, yeah, I agree, and and that's probably a good place to be because if you if you're the three seed uh, and you win that first round playoff series, then you get to avoid the Cavaliers in the second round. So I still think that the Celtics might not get past the second round, but you keep that three seed and and they're basically anything can happen until you meet a Cavaliers team. So, all right. um, At old school film spelled with a K with the emphasis on the perimeter three point scoring today is the Celtics perimeter defense today's equivalent of a rim protector. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, I, in a way, but if you you can pro- you can say that you're protecting the rim by not letting guys get to the rim. Although you know that's there's only so much you can do, even with the guys that they have, because of the NBA rules. Some guys are going to get to the rim, like we were just talking about Toronto. Tamar Derozan seems to get to the rim at will against. Well, a lot of teams, but the Celtics especially. So, yeah, if you can prevent a team from getting to the rim, that is in a way rim protection. But I don't. I think you still need somebody in the middle to kind of at least stop the the easier shots at the rim. And it, it doesn't even have to be with a DeAndre Jordan. He didn't protect the rim against Isaiah Thomas last night. Heyo. <laughs> But the Celtics have been protecting the rim fairly well with Jared Sullinger and Amir Johnson. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. That that seems like a pretty much a non-answer for me. Yeah, I mean, sort of in a way, kind of. I, I will say this: the their perimeter defense helps make up for the fact that they don't have that guy. The, the yes. you know Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jay Crowder. Those guys are just elite defenders, and they keep people out of the lane. And they, they, a lot of them have versatility to guard different types of players. They force turnovers. They really, really create a lot of commotion and, and kind of 
they can hide some of the deficiencies of those front court guys. And I, I think some of the front court guys, especially Solinger, Johnson, I, I think Olenek has done a, a better job than people realize too. They've done a pretty good job defensively too, but their defense is built upon those perimeter guys and and their talents. And and they're just really, really good defenders, those three. And, and that helps that helps everybody. So So it's not rim protection, but it helps hide the fact that they don't have rim protection or as much rim protection as maybe you would want. I feel uncomfortable with the amount of times we've been saying rim protection. Sorry, John. We, we won't mention it again. Magnus <laughs> asks, if you had to try to win, which Celtics would you nominate for the All-Star Game dunk and three-point contests? So sending a representative to go try to win the dunk contest and the three-point contest, which Celtics would we choose? You'd have, you'd have to pick a Linux for the three-point contest, right? Maybe Avery Bradley? I think so. Um, Bradley, I think, jumps too much. Those, those guys who really jump on their yeah. jump shots tend to fade in the, in the three-point contest. Okay. I think Kelly's the type of guy who barely gets off the ground when he shoots to, to, to work well in that contest. So, yeah, Olenek, I think, for three. And then, <laughs> Dunk contest is a tough, tough question because they don't have many dunkers on the Celtics roster. Um, I, it's a, Terry you know Rozier. Okay. I think Terry Rozier could could surprise people with some freakish dunks. He he is a real top notch athlete. Not that he would yeah. ever ever get invited to the dunk contest, but I think I would take him over anyone else on the Celtics roster, just based on sheer athleticism. I don't think I've ever seen him like his creativity or anything like that. Obviously, creativity is huge in a dunk contest, but who? I mean, who? I, I, on their I'm team gonna go with I'm gonna go with possibly. an outside I'm gonna go with a way out there answer. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah. Who can dunk. <laughs> We're going with the guy. <laughs> Has he ever dunked in an NBA game? One time, John? Um, I don't know, but I've seen him dunk in warm ups. Uh, what I've kind of dunks have dunk. you seen in warm ups from Isaiah Thomas, John? I, we'll Google it. Google it. I know I, I've seen Isaiah Thomas dunk. Yeah, like normal dunk. Here's the thing. He's 5'9". Spud Webb won, won the contest, and he didn't throw down anything massively spectacular. Yeah, but he, he went, what do you go, two hands between his legs? You think Isaiah Thomas yeah, could sure. approach that? I don't know. Terry Rozier okay, got let's, my vote. Let's look at this from a realistic perspective. No Celtics are winning the goddamn dunk contest. So I, I think they should th- Rozier, throw maybe, Sullinger sure, in huh? there and see what happens. Yeah, or throw Evan Turner in there and watch him do something goofy. But hey, He had that um, 360 earlier in the year. I tell you what, you know, if we, Avery Bradley might not be so bad. He has some insane follow dunks. Like, I think he could – I went with Isaiah Thomas because I'm like, he can dunk, but he's so small that just dunking would get him points because he would look so good. And he could probably do some crazy stuff lobbing the ball and catching stuff. But I'm trying to go outside the box here, man. I'm trying to get creative. I mean, Bradley might be their – their top athlete as far as leaping ability Bradley's goes. had some crazy dunks. He can get up there. That dunk against uh, San Antonio, that was that was that was crazy. That was huge. Yeah. So I think I think he might he might be the guy actually because he's got the nice combination of being small, but he can get up there. 
So, all right, I'll 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 go with Avery Bradley then. I feel like he wouldn't. Have, uh, for I've some been, reason, I I've feel like he wouldn't have the creativity. Like, I feel like he would just like go in and dunk really hard. But whereas I feel, I feel like he was in the dunk contest. He'd probably try to block other players' dunks. <laughs> he'd get down in a defensive stance. And... Yeah, he'd, he'd go out there and try to like strip the ball as they were going up for dunks as a strategy to knock their scores down low enough where he could get and get in there. But, uh, I mean, he might foul them. <laughs> Watch out. He's starting a bad habit lately. Brad, Bradley will be up 50 points and foul the guy on his last dunk. Uh, we don't mean it, Avery. You, you've... That uh, that was weird though. The yeah, fouls were weird, weren't play. they? Like he never does that, and he's just had like Tony Allen type moments the last couple of games. How how often have you ever seen in the clutch in the final seconds of a two point game, the final one second of a two point game, two fouls called to decide the game? Crazy, and they were both obvious in like half a second. Absolutely, like the refs couldn't have even swallowed uh, the whistles if they wanted to. Do- yeah, that it just it's just odd to see. Um, let's dig deep into the statistics here, the advanced statistics, because Josh Lawrence brings up a good one. Boston is twenty five and ten when they lose the opening tip, seven and thirteen when they win the opening tip. What is going on here, Jay? My little brother's high school coach gives up the tip. He has their center who is like six seven which is huge in western massachusetts basketball he has him not jump and then they just go back and play defense and try to set the tone so i always hate that because it's like giving up a possession and i I don't know if he listens to this podcast but if he does i hate that murph (laughs) (laughs) yeah you son of a get the ball and go score but maybe brad should do it you know the stats show twenty-five and ten. You can't you can't argue the advanced statistics of jump ballness, and mm-hmm. I, I would, yeah, I don't know. I think Amir Johnson. Someone tweeted me that he's bad at jump balls, so it it might be that might be part of it. Like they start. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Twenty-five Who and ten knows? though. It's probably David it's Lee's been- fault. Uh, and the final thing on twitter comes from sam packard who says jay your career has the momentum of a runaway freight train what makes you so popular he he told me that was a simpsons reference it is yeah i gotta play i gotta find the lisa simpson uh she reads what mr burns you're mr burns in this scenario not that that means anything. i know who mr burns is okay great um He's running for office, and she reads a scripted question. It's very topical. It's almost like a Donald Trump joke, except it's a J. King joke. Yeah, but I, you, I don't think I want to be compared to Trump. But your career does seem to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I mean, you've got this podcast. <laughs> well, we do have the podcast. The, the podcast is like three runaway freight, train, freight trains. Nobody's going to stop this thing, but... As for my career, that no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, sadly no. I, I like uh, the I like the Simpsons reference that he knew I wasn't going to get. He tweeted me that knowing I wasn't going to get it. Yep. And I yeah. 
I knew it. I think it's become a thing. I think it's become a thing. We had a big blow up this week over Twitter about Simpsons reference. Well, because Sam asked me a Simpsons question, and I dove into it like, like uh, you know, nylon calculus dives into basketball statistics. He asked. I me, didn't know where you were going the- there, but you saved yourself. I don't think you knew where you were going there either, but you, you pulled one out of your butt. <laughs> I got it. I made yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was nice work. Um, very Evan Turner-ish, but I did it. Uh he asked me what the best five episode sequence, uh, five episode run of The Simpsons was, and I just dove into it. And I gave him like a five tweet answer, and that led to us just all shitting on you for not being a Simpsons fan. And so now I think it's become a thing. Whenever we can throw references that you don't understand, it's it's basically it's going to happen. I I still say grown men don't watch cartoon shows. Grown men watch Boy Meets World. That's that's what I have always said. That's what I will always say. So, Boy Meets World. <laughs> Give me a Boy Meets World reference and I'll know every one. Every one. I'm letting you hang out there because this isn't helping you at all. You, you don't watch Boy Meets World. You never did, did you? I never You're did. You're heartless. I knew it. I knew it. I never did. That, see? that That's up there. That's That's in my top three shows ever. Okay. The Wire, Friday Night Lights, and Boy Meets World. Okay. Yeah, Simpsons. That's are... a hell of a top three, considering all the great TV that's out there. That's a hell of a top three. What's your top three? Uh, oh, We've officially gone uh, off the rails, but I, I want to hear yeah. your top three now. Top three TV shows of all time? Um, shoot. Seinfeld. Uh, the Simpsons. And Arrested Development. Yeah. All sitcoms. Yeah. Because I'm very immature. See, I mean, to to say that it's crazy to have my top three, you can disagree with it, but to say it's crazy is crazy. <laughs> have you watched? Have you ever watched Arrested Development? I love Arrested Development. Actually, that's a great show. All right, Common Ground. The show is saved. Yes, Arrested Development. The blues, gotta love the blues. Okay, well, uh, I think I think this is a good place to end. Gotta love this the blues. Free episode. Gotta love the blues. Gotta love Evan Turner, and that's the show. <laughs> that is the show. The Celtics go into the All Star break, the third seed in the NBA, thirty two and twenty three, going down the stretch. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen in the All-Star game? We're going to talk to you after the All-Star game. Please, if you listen to us on iTunes, go. Give us a rating. It boosts our ego immensely. Preferably a good rating. A good rating, yeah. Don't give us a bad rating. Give us a five-star rating. Seriously. Do it now. After hearing the TV talk, people might give us a bad rating, man. We just got off the rails. We'll edit it out. <laughs> now nah, I'm too lazy to do that. This is all staying in. We'll see you next time on the Rain Jays podcast.
Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.